Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I am here with our main host, Lance Psycho, and I am Alex Gore. I want to welcome you to today's rocket ship, which is Revit Rocket Ship. You knew it was coming. It's your rocket ship to up your Revit skills. Go check it out at RevitRocketShip.com. Lance and I teach you the fundamentals of Revit, how to mimic construction and get the most out of Revit so that you can be productive and happy. Go to RevitRocketShip.com. We're also going to need you to go to ArcCat.com. With project conditions changing and limited time to get things done, it's good to have information at your fingertips. ArcCat.com provides architects, engineers, spec writers, and contractors with the most comprehensive libraries of building product content. And to design so you can access it quickly and efficiently. Even better, this is my favorite part, ArcCat.com is free to use and requires no registration. So visit today and access the information you need now. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Last and certainly not least, I need you to go check out PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Just by clicking on that link, you help support us and we help support Pella, which brings us to you each week. Very important. You've never experienced a brand like theirs before. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters, the pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating, and the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Again, that's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Lance, I got a question for you. I have maybe an answer. Did the government kill affordable housing? It always kills everything. <laughs> so, so you're going to go with a strong yes Yep, on that that's one. a big yes. All right, so I was on Twitter like people do, and I saw this interesting series of tweet by um, Hazel Bory. Hazel Bory's, if I'm saying it correct. Uh-huh. And I'll pull it up, and I thought it was actually pretty well done. So I'll read these tweets for you. Um, and there's a picture associated, so if you're watching on, uh, on the line, you can see it. Uh, tweet number one, common neighborhood forms from the 1900s to the 1940s enjoyed livability thanks to uh, gentle density. 21 units illustrated here on 0.75 acres or 28 uh, dwelling units per acre. And then there's a nice picture of it. There's everything from what looks like a, uh, a house to uh, uh, townhomes, row houses, to an apartment building with, uh, with parking in the back. Mixed use. Looks like there's maybe even a mixed use. Sure. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Nice, and, nice and diverse. Okay. But then, tweet two. But then the laws were changed to require larger setbacks and more parking. So naturally occurring affordability which means like it's affordability by form, essentially affordability by scale from size. Um, so naturally occurring affordability and walkable formats banished from new constructions from the 1916, 1960s. Thank you. 16 dwelling units, um, or, uh, on 1.22 acres or 13 dwelling units per acres. Then there's a picture and you can see these large, uh, setbacks. 
Um, and not only that, now we have landscape buffers on top of that, which basically bring in side setbacks a lot is what I'm seeing. Um, and then now we have fire, uh, all this fire code that, that doesn't allow you to do what you could do in the past. Okay. Tweet number three from the 1990s until now, uh, got the town from the 1990s until now, got the townhomes back and garden apartments, but in auto orientated formats, mm. generally <clears throat> missing the sweet spot of three, four, five, six unit structures. Um, illustrating here, the picture is of 11 units on 1.86 acres or 5.9 dwelling units per acre. A drastic reduction wow, got worse. from the 1960s. That's half density. That's drastic. That's half density. Yeah. So did basically what they're saying is, is the setbacks and um, the less dwelling units per acre kind of killed it. And then also the car. Like we always blame the car and the car is only one of the factors. Yeah. It obviously isn't the biggest factor. It seems like the setbacks are. It seems like uh, the land use codes are, are the biggest problem. And uh, w- moving moving ahead, um, the fight is against the NIMBYs, and there needs to be... So if you're looking for some kind of action, like what I would recommend is that everybody uh, looks up... I think it's uh, YIMBY. If you just look up YIMBY, there's uh, on Twitter. I'm just doing it on Twitter. There's all kinds of... Uh, uh, per- accounts and people and one for example that I like is called California Yimby. It's a statewide advocacy organization working to pass legislation to end ha- California's housing shortage by empowering and growing a very Yimby movement. Mm-hmm. So if you're serious about this, it really comes down to I think forming a local coalition and being a Yimby person and defeating the NIMBYs. Otherwise, we're just going to keep heading toward hurtling towards this unaffordability. I know several podcasters that are prominent in this sphere that insist it is not about a housing shortage. They just want to point to greed. I won't name names. If you're listening, you know who you are. I, I think you're completely wrong. It's not about um, the greed of the developers. The developers literally need the greed, a.k.a. a profit, in order to have some incentive to do what they want to do. Well, you can. there's a way to combat the greed, too. Sure. Competition. Yeah. Just, just competition. If me, you, and ten other developers are competing um, for a sale of a, of a unit, then then you have to. You literally have to. If your product isn't better, or if it's the same, you have to lower price. Hundred so, percent healthy yep. competition. We talk about it all the time. Before we get into Mr. Andrew Tate, who's going to be our reader today. Look at that. Yeah, he's stepping in for Nick. Um, basically, they're the same person if you just look at them. Yeah, I would say so. Height-wise, muscle-wise, you know, uh, muscle, you name it, rhetoric, same thing. Yep. Um, so uh, two, two, two bullet points I kind of wanted to touch on today is, <clears throat> so recently uh, we made the move internally to level up a couple people at, in our staff because uh, we're losing somebody and um, pr- putting them on the pedestal of, okay, you are a leader now. And you're going to start leading several staff members. And yesterday we had an internal meeting. And I, I kind of wanted to just point out for other people who are maybe thinking about moving, making this move. Like, how do you identify that person who is, who is, who is a potentially a leader? And uh, one of the things <coughs> that we both noticed yesterday, two things that I noticed, maybe I'll have some to add on, is um, number one, just enthusiasm for it. 
and and wanting to do it and yeah. and realizing like this is their path towards uh, senior further senior staff levels, principals, possible owners in the future, all of that kind of stuff. So the attitude is is first and foremost everything. Like, do they actually want to do it? Do you believe that they're going to do it? And then the other thing that is very critical that people might forget is like this is a nuanced one is does that staff member show examples of seeing somebody else's work, the same kind of work that they were doing, and recognize that their method is better? So it is a that is a strength through sort of leading. I don't want to say leading from behind. No, humble leadership. Humble leadership. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and here's why it's kind of counterintuitive is because let's say Lance wants to be a leader at our farm and, and pretend I'm the boss and Lance is like, yes, I want to be the leader, stuff like that. I think some people have the assumption that now I'm expecting you to have all the answers. Yeah. Right. You have to be correct. You have to lead the charge. You said you wanted to be a leader, but what was great instead was we were talking about organizing in projects and everyone organizes them in their same way. And this next leader in our firm said, um, yeah, I was organizing it this way. Someone else at our firm actually has it a little bit better. So I'm going to update mine from theirs. And then that's what I'm going to tell this team to do. It was like, yes, that's what we want. Like that, that is leadership. That is leadership. That is leadership. Mm-hmm. Not mine's worse, but I'm going to make everyone else. Conform. And it's uh, like my way or the highway is not the way to go. No. <laughs> to sum it up. Well, yeah. Yeah. I would agree with those two. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I had a, uh, in other sort of related news is I know people who listen to this show also have their own podcasts or also maybe thinking about having their own podcast. You might ask yourself, like, what could a podcast even do for me? The obvious answer that a lot of people sort of gravitate towards, and we did right away, too, is like, well, well, it would be it would, like it would be interesting to get paid to speak like and there's people know we have sponsors on this show. So clearly. Um, it's compensating for our time and effort that we put into it. We're bringing their message. But really what it's about is, so I interviewed for this this podcast yesterday, and I was like uh, passed their interview process. So what it was is some of these bigger podcasts that you, you if people try to get on them, they sort of have like this intake form. They're like, apply to be on the show. And I'm like, sure, I'll try it. Uh, so I tried it, and I passed, and I got to a interview with them. So I had an, uh, it was a non-recorded interview. It was off, off the line. And we, we sort of, you know, went, talked back and forth about what we do. And it was very interesting to listen. So this podcast is a top 5% podcast in the world, meaning they have over a million downloads every month. I'm excited to be on it. Um, it's just foreshadowing. It's called Billionaires and Boxers. And th- this guy's from the UK. And was, it was so interesting to listen or to hear him say, he doesn't two things were just struck me one he doesn't care about his audience i was like what do you mean by that (laughs) he's like i'm using this podcast and this is the second part of it that struck me i'm using this podcast it's not about sponsorships he said because as soon as i do the sponsorships i'm cornered as to what my audience has to be and the content that i can that i that i'm making people i'm bringing on etc None of our sponsors are like it, but I'm just saying this is what he was saying. <clears throat> and then he said, um, he goes, for me, it's about I am trying to connect with people that I can get something from and they can get something from me. He goes, so to be frank, 
obviously you want to be on our show so you can get better exposure for yours and what you do. And I go, absolutely. Like, yeah. let's just, we're just man to man. spade to spade. Calling a spade a spade. And uh, he says, well, to be frank for you, uh, you, what I see is like, you're going to be my stepping stone to be able to show other architects uh, that why they should have a podcast. Um, because one of the things I said is I said, I said, you know, I'm trying to think about how we have used our show to leverage relationships in, um, in a reciprocal way. So like the law of reciprocity, which is sort of this unspoken thing, right? You do, you do something for me, I'll do something for you, right? Sort of on the, sort of like, you don't have to say it. You just, it just happens, right? Um, so I said, well, I have had multiple engineers on our show that we work with all the time, it gives them better exposure. And I think it, it, there's the, re the reciprocity is, is that we are one of their few firms that they will work with for that. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, let's say you're an architect, how could you leverage your show for you and for other people? What if you had on builders? What if you had on real estate people? What if you had on developers? And all of a sudden there's this, law of reciprocity happening yep what, what if there was uh energy code that you wanted to learn about so you had someone like that what if you know there was some area that you wanted to know about then you just have an expert on it too so. yeah another another really good example he had and I, I thought about how we could leverage this is he said he goes you know in your industry you have these conferences right um the uh, a um, american institute of architects aia conference there's autodesk university uh, there's the International Builder Show. Um, there's probably like one of the green, yep. you know, conferences yep. or whatever. He goes, he goes. What I would do um, if is that if you're getting invited to these as one of the podcasters anyway, he goes six to nine months from the point of when they're going to have their when they announce basically when they announce that they're going to have their next conference. Why aren't you reaching out to them and the the comp the people and saying, hey, um, hey, I'm Lance Psycho. I I uh, we have inside the firm podcast where we're, you know, all these accolades and the download numbers and all the other things. Here's our podcast guest. You already have the legitimacy there. So you just kind of note that to them and then flat out tell them that it's like, I would love to help you. I would love to help you uh, advertise and get more people over to your conference. So is there anybody on your side that you, that would like to come on our show beforehand and we, beforehand and we talk about it? I don't know why we, this is one of those things that I feel like what we do and we tell people and we think it's super obvious. This is like the reverse, like that's super obvious. I, now that he, once he said it, it was super obvious and yeah. he goes and he goes, and then, and then because you're helping them sell tickets or whatever, yeah. you just flat out tell them that like, I would like to, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have you guys leverage our podcast for that exposure. What I would like is if we could, um, I would be interested in being one of your speakers. Could I be one of your speakers? And then all of a sudden you're leveraging it for not only your exposure, but obviously you get paid to be a speaker at these places like yep. that. Yep. And what I don't know, I love the whole idea. I don't think some of these pay their speakers. Yeah. Some of them don't. Yeah. Some of them don't. So it could just be exposure. That's why. Yep. I, yeah. I'm saying that. Yep. So nice. just some food for thought for this week. Um, as you guys, if we all head into the weekends, I know who's got some other uh, food for thought here. Well, let's hear it. Here's Andrew Tate with Andrew Reeds. I say this. Tenacity. I say this all the time. I say the best things that ever happened to me are the worst things that ever happened. To me. 
all the trauma and bullshit I've been through in my life are the best things that ever happened to me. Because as a man, if you've not had a difficult life, you cannot be good at being a man. Uh, do, you have, do you have an example for me? Yeah. Uh, the best, the, the worst things that ever happened to me are the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, well, I was the same. So I have a couple of examples. Uh, the, when, I was a, when I was a single dad raising my kids for three years on my own, uh, it was one of the most taxing mentally, physically, and monetarily things that I've ever done. And what it made me, it gave me perspective on when things are or aren't that taxing. And it allowed mm. me to handle more and, and honestly be more patient. Uh, a lot of folks think I'm a very impatient person, and, and I am in, in a lot of ways. But... What they, it's easy to see the impatience when it comes out, but it's very hard, I think, for people to pin down the patience. If something goes wrong on a job site, if something goes wrong with an employee, if something goes wrong with one of our design projects, I am not a yelling about <laughs> to anybody who screwed up. It is sort of a, well, it is what it is. We are here at this point. How do we move forward? What, are the, what is the critical path? And how do we tackle these sort of problems? Um, the second one is a big one is the development. I think it's really interesting that like, uh, Al and I got, we put ourselves in this position of feeling of being exhausted physically, mentally, monetarily for that. And I think, um, my lesson, if I ever did another development, it was, it would be to the, one of the big goals besides completing it is when it's complete, that I don't feel vulnerable, that I have a positive energy about the whole thing. Because the other thing that Tate says in that interview, I'd highly encourage everybody to go check it out too. If you just go to YouTube and type in like Andrew Tate PBD, it's Patrick something. Valuetainment. Valuetainment. It, yeah, Valuetainment. Five-hour show. Incredible. Um, might not be your flavor, but I... But Well, if it's not, you should... If you've only had snippets of him, you should get the full thing. Yeah. That's all we're saying. There's just so many quotes he has on there, and that was one of them that I grabbed from it to share with everybody today. But the the big one of the other ones that stuck out to me is that he goes, I only surround myself with positive people, and I basically kick people out of my circle if they're negative because negativity sticks and hangs in the air. Even if you have a bad morning and you fix it in the afternoon, that negativity is sticky. It's just sticky. So if the i think if uh, if i would have been in a more positive frame of mind at the end of it and not exhausted just yeah. exhausted things could have panned out in a more positive way just because of the energy and then the uh, the other negativity that was added into the mix at the end of it didn't help yeah and maybe it could have been overcome through ne- through positivity yeah i have two different ones i like all of those ones one is the obvious of getting uh, laid off during the recession. Oh, great one. And then now here we are, right? Yep. And another fun one for me. It went out, and literally, think about that. No, no. That was the worst. That was one of the worst things that ever happened to me and Al. Imagine graduating at the top of your class. Both of us did. And then, and just, and through that, graduating top, leveraging our way into uh, regionally and the world famous arch- uh, architectural firms. And then getting crushed, taking grown men down to their knees, kind of crushed. Yep. Um, physically, mentally, all of that. And then taking that negative energy and using it as a force for good and then making F9 happen. Yep. And then I, I have a fond memory of, because, it, you know, like tough times, 
Um, there was one hilarious day in basic training where, you know, you work out in the morning, all of a sudden, like we're eating food out in the woods, mine falls in the dirt. So I'm eating dirt food, go through an obstacle course, get gassed, get smoked, rolling around in other people's puke. Uh, like literally people like quitting that day, They're, like just giving up. And I'm, so when I look at, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm like, at least I'm not eating dirt food and Bingo. rolling around in people's puked and getting gassed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah. What do we got next? Let's bring down everyone for ARE Jeopardy. Let's do it. Okay. Question number one. What does, in quotes, I, occupancy classification in the IBC stand for? Is it A, institutional, B, industrial, C, incidental, or D, Imaginary. Institutional. B, industrial. C, incidental. Or D, imaginary. Lift them. B, A. A. It's A. (laughs) Question two. What occupancy classification are agricultural buildings listed under? Is it A, group U? B, group I, C, group S, or D, group M? A, group U, B, group I, C, group S, D, group M. Okay. Me? Nope. Nope. They got to lift them up. Let's see them. You went with I? What did you go with? It is group U, which is, uh, what? Thank you. Utility and miscellaneous. All right. Number three, name two accessible features that must be addressed when rehabilitating a historic building. There's two correct answers. There's two. A, main entrance. B, kitchens. C, waiting rooms. D, restrooms. Name two accessible features that must be addressed when rehabilitating a historic building. A, main entrance. B, kitchens. C, waiting rooms. D, restrooms. Nice, you just said it. What do you got? It is A, good, good man. A, D is correct, Reebs. All right, what do we got for scores? We got two. Ooh, Ross attacked. Number four, what is SDC? A, seismic design category. B, statute of design category. C, state of design contributions. D, seven design catechisms. That one. (laughs) It's that one. (laughs) You put A, what do you got? Correct. The correct answer is A. All right. What's the score? Ross got four. Yeah, but aren't you... Oh. Okay, where are we going? We're going to Chiba love Hut. I love this Chiba. episode sponsored by Chiba Hut. Lance, take us out. <laughs> if you like this episode, you know what to do. Leave us a positive comment on the YouTube, like, subscribe, five star review on iTunes. We'll see you next week.